0: 1 John 3, 1, it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Wow, do you even begin to fathom that God Almighty would love us so much that he would make us his children? Wow. If you remember at the last uh, congregational family meeting, the elders said that there are two main themes for this year, two main emphases, if you will, increasingly walk in who we are in Christ and activate the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so this morning I want to talk about who we are in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as we look now at your word, we are inviting you to speak into us. Holy Spirit, we want more than just the words of a man, we want to hear you and we're inviting you to weave your heart, your heart love into the midst of this sermon that it might affect our lives and cause the change that you want and we trust you to do that amen amen let me start by saying this i'm convinced that living our lives fully grounded in who we are in christ may be one of the most difficult and challenging things that you and i will ever face as christians Every single day, there is a myriad of voices that are calling out to us, trying to convince us of something contrary to what the word says. You're not good enough. You don't measure up. You're a failure. God doesn't love you. How many times have you heard those voices over and over? And it's all too easy to begin to believe those voices. So this morning, I want to come at this idea from a little different perspective than, I want, than what I think uh, any of the other guys will. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you three types of lies that cause us to not understand who we are in Christ. And my aim here is to, to make us aware of the, some of the primary reasons why we're not walking in who we are as Christ. And before I really get fully into this, I want to say that, that what I'm going to share this morning, um, that it's geared for, the, for those who know Christ as Savior. If you, don't, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, if you are not walking in the fact that His, His death and resurrection have to do with your sins, and it takes those away, then honestly not much of what I'm going to say has anything to do with you, and I'm just being honest with you. So with that understanding, let's dive in. First type of lie that we have a tendency to believe is the lies that the enemy of our soul speaks directly into us, and I'm going to come at this from a a a really different angle. While back, I uh, I saw a magician. Okay, a magician isn't really a magician like we think, like what we just read in the the scripture that we just had. The okay, they're they're illusionists. They're they're pretenders. They're performers. All right. So this magician, what he did is he made something disappear. I mean you've all seen it. It's there and then it's gone. And you know, I'm I don't know about you, but I'm always fascinated by that. It's like, that's really cool. How did he do that? And and I here, here's the deal. I know how he did that. All right, at least in theory. Don't ask me to actually do it, all right? But the, the concept is, is what that what happens is the, the the magician, the performer, the illusionist gets the audience, whether that's one person or a whole bunch of people, to focus on what they just did and then they change something in the present while you're focused there. Now, granted, I realize that in order to make that work, the, the magician has to have pretty ha- quick hands, and they've got to get you to focus, but that's what I believe the enemy of our souls does to us. He gets us to focus on something other than the truth, that we're focused here when our focus really should be here. Are you with me? little sleight of hand, a little quick maneuvering, and all of a sudden, we don't believe the truth anymore. How many times have you heard those lies? You're not good enough. You'll never measure up. God couldn't love somebody like you. You're just a poor, miserable sinner. But those things are not true. They're sleight of hand. They're maneuvering in order to get us to not focus on the truth of God's word. So he speaks into us directly. That's the first point. My goodness, if that was the first point, this could be a really fast sermon. <laughs> Don't get your hopes up. Um, number, two, sorry, number two. Second thing, besides those direct lies, there are what what I would call larger cultural context lies um, that uh, we we begin to believe. And I think the big one is that that everything came into. Existence by random chance. There is no God, uh, matter and life just kind of happened. It's, a, no, it's a, the, kind of the accepted norm in our, our culture, isn't it? And the ideas and consequences of that philosophy, I think, wrap themselves like tentacles around every area of life. And in the context of identity, if Random evolution is true, then you and I have no inherent value at all. If we're just a bunch of of molecules that happen to come together, if we're just the, the byproduct of some primordial ooze that happened, then we have no real value. But on the other hand, if Christianity is true, then we have extreme value because We are made in the image of the creator. And see, embracing one of those two opposite extremes changes how we see ourselves. It's going to affect everything. Several weeks ago, I don't know if you saw it or not, there was an, uh, an article on the front page of the Leader newspaper and uh, it was about the county government saying that they were going to go all in um, on the, 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 the really the epidemic of, of the teen suicides that have happened. And one, uh, one particular quote in that article really struck me. A government spokesperson was saying that they, they want to convey to teenagers that, quote, everyone is special, unquote. Everyone is special. And my immediate, I'm standing in the kitchen, newspaper's laying on the the table, I'm reading that. I'm pretty sure my wife can verify this because I'm pretty sure I responded out loud. I said, based on what? I mean, think about it. If what is taught in science classes in public high schools is true, if we just all came about as a matter of chance, then there is no basis for that, that statement. No, we're not all special. We just happened. If that lie, excuse me, is true, then honestly, suicide is a viable option. What difference does it make after all? But on the other hand, if there really is a creator, a God who intentionally and uniquely designed you if you are made in the image of God, then indeed you are special. And that's the only reason we have. See, that changes everything, and I mean everything. At that point and only at that point can we say that we really truly have significance. Let me try an illustration. Suppose you have a fresh baked cookie, chocolate chip, mm-hmm, yeah. It's the kind of cookie that you could buy at a bakery for say a dollar. You have that cookie in your left hand. In your right hand, you have a one dollar coin. You have both of those in your hands, okay? You go for a walk, maybe you go down by the covered bridge. You're walking underneath the covered bridge where there is always a lot of mud. You stumble and you fall and both of those items fall into the mud. They are both now completely coated in mud. What are you going to do with the cookie? You're going to throw it away. I mean, even if you could somehow wash it off, you, you're messed with soggy garbage. It's worthless. If evolution is true, then you are that cookie. You're a throwaway item, especially when things don't go well. You've got no value at all. It's true. But a biblical perspective changes everything. If God Almighty created you, then you're that coin. What are you gonna do with the coin if it gets almighty? You're gonna wash it off. You're gonna keep it, right? You're gonna put it back in your pocket. You're gonna spend it at some point. It's worth the dollar. See, regardless of what we look like on the outside, we have inherent value just like that coin because we were made in the image of God. It's totally, completely different. And it's only at that point that we can say that we are special, that we have significance. Man was the crowning glory in God's creation. One writer said that we have been endowed with a nature and qualities that by the grace of God can express more of God than any other of God's creations. And it's true. We were created in the image of God. Johnny Erickson Tata, she's been in a wheelchair for decades, she said this, When I get up in the morning, I remember in whose image I am made. As difficult as quadriplegia is, I recall and rehearse to myself time and again whose image I bear. My body may be broken, but I am a God reflector. I love that. The Bible is very clear about our origin. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Genesis 9.6, God made man in his own image. You know, Many scholars would say that the, the Hebrew wording actually suggests a, a stronger emphasis than what we get in most translations. D.J. A. Klein's in an article entitled The Image of God in Man, he said this, we may say that according to Genesis 1, man does not have the image of God, nor is he made in the image of God, but is himself the image of God. An article from Focus on the Family said, humankind then was created to be a copy or a graphic image of the creator, a formal, visible, and understandable representation of who God is and what he is really like. So practically speaking, you and I are God mirrors. Oh, I understand that in our fallen state, we don't mirror him perfectly. I get that, all right? But at the same time, we still, even in our fallen existence still retain a measure of that image of the creator we were instilled with his essence we've been granted a dimension of himself it was after all god who initially breathed life into us and it was the same god who breathed new life into us when we came into his kingdom Scripture talks about our our new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, Colossians 3. That's you and me. Even after we've been in a fallen state, we're being renewed after the image of our creator. So don't believe the lie. You are not a random chance accident. You were made by God Almighty in His image. So there are the lies that the enemy speaks directly into us, there are the larger cultural context lies, but there's also another type of lie that I think is, is just as insidious and just as subtle, and that's the lies that are spoken into us by other people. Now, understand, the origin of those lies is still the enemy of our souls, but it's, a different, it's not a direct, it's indirect. And, and that might be you know some, uh, a, a relative or something like a friend, a co-worker, a, a fellow student, whatever, um, that is speaking those things into us, I want you to think back. Think about Job in the Old Testament. Wealthy man, big family, one fell swoop, it's all gone. And to add to that, Job has these friends that are are trying to convince him to admit that it was his own sin that caused all of that to happen. But Job recognizes that's not true and so he's, he's kind of fighting against that, if you will. And he's being patient. But at one point, it seems like he just gets to the, the breaking point. And in, in Job chapter 13, um, the message translation, I love this. He says this, I'm taking my case to God Almighty. I've had it with you. I'm going directly to God. You graffiti my life with lies. You graffiti my life with lies. What a great statement. What a, what a great word picture. I mean, can't you, can't you picture somebody with the, the spray can Graffitiing onto somebody else's life. And I know that's not just Job's story. Some of you have had that happen. And those those pictures, that graffiti might might look pretty, it might look colorful, might look artistic, might be compelling, but it still lies. Regardless of how you look at it. The enemy of our souls uses other people to speak lies into our lives sometimes even well meaning people when he knows that we won't listen to him directly he will use others oftentimes people who are in authority with us people with great influence in our lives to speak those wrong things into our lives the father who says to his son you'll never amount to anything the the kids on the playground who tell the 10-year-old girl, loser. The coach who says, you're a poor excuse for an athlete. The mother who tells her eight-year-old daughter, you're the reason dad and I are getting a divorce. The boss who says, you're worthless. And I'll guarantee in the midst of this many people that there are others here that you could add your own to that list. We have all heard those lies over the years. They are real. Some time ago, I met a man who had heard those lies a lot. As a little boy, he was belittled and ridiculed regularly. Siblings and schoolmates spoke lies into him, whether it was about his stuttering, whether it was about his total lack of athletic abilities. He just heard it over and over and over again Today he's fairly well adjusted, but he will tell you that that negativity took a real toll on him. It took him years to get past it and he's not totally behind it even at this point. Those negative comments at times still haunt him and he'd like to just erase the whole thing, but you can't do that. And I'm guessing that it's happened to some of you here too. I don't know, your situation might be not nearly as bad as that guy I just described, might be way worse. I don't know. But I do know that there are times that the enemy has, through other people, spoken into your life lies. Maybe it was a teacher or a relative. Maybe it was a friend or a coworker. Maybe it was the bully at school. Maybe it was somebody who once professed a forever love to you. But whatever the source, those things that are contrary to God's word were wrongfully spoken into you and they began to take root and you began to believe them. See, even in this setting, Satan's strategy is still the same. He wants to distract us from the truth and get us to focus on the wrong thing. And I'm telling you here today, you get a choice in that. Even if those graffiti lies look really compelling, you can still ignore them and believe the truth of the word of God rather than those lies. See, we too often don't think and act like the redeemed people of God. Whether it's because of those lies the enemy speaks directly, whether it's the larger cultural context lies, whether it's the lies that other people speak into us, we have a tendency to believe those things over and above God's word. All right, so what does God's word actually say about us? Now, I can't give you the whole list today, but I'll at least give you a few quick snippets. And it seems to me that I had some of these in a sermon a while back, but I'm over 60 and I can repeat myself, so... (laughs) Sorry, Nick used to use that (laughs) word. You're a child of God, John 1 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You're a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're one of God's special people. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You're not condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're a child of the light for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. You're chosen by God. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You're part of Christ's body. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You're loved by God. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And again, that's just a, just a small sampling. But I want us to get a hold of those things. And, and I'm pretty sure that in our congregation... We get this, we understand. I mean, if I were to ask for a show of hands, how many of you believe the truth of those things that I just said, they're from the word of God, how many believe they're true? I'm guessing that most every hand here would go up. But let me change the scene. If you and I were just sitting individually and talking and I were to ask you, are there ever times that you feel like that perhaps one of those or more are not for you? Oh, I got you now. Don't look at me with your church faces. If you're totally honest, aren't there times that you feel like you're second rate? That you don't measure up, that maybe God just tolerates you like he made a a bad choice in choosing you in the first place? I'm guessing there's been times that you've seen God standing there with a scowl on his face, his arms crossed gruffly, looking at you disapprovingly because you're not like the others. You're not like the good kids. You do the wrong things. You think the wrong things. You say the wrong things. You sin and far too often. How could those promises possibly be true for you? And yet they are. The truth of God's word. See what's happened is you have begun to believe the lies. The focus has shifted away from what God really says about you. And yet when we put our focus on what God says, everything changes company called Revelation Media is releasing a video dramatization of uh, John Bunyan's uh, classic book, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, my understanding is it's supposed to be in theaters around Easter, and there's a, there was a preview that I watched a while back, and uh, in one part of the preview, there's a dialogue uh, that's between Christian, the, the, the pilgrim, and Apollyon, the, the demonic prince. So I asked Stephen if he would help me to, uh, to do this really short dialogue here. The king has never failed me, you deceiver, you liar, you usurper of all that is good and true. Silence! I served under you and found nothing but misery. Silence! My allegiance is with the celestial king. Is it? You heard me. How many times have you already failed him on this journey? You're a disgrace to this king of yours. Which makes his mercy and forgiveness the sweeter. You are a deceiver which binds his subjects with invisible chains. The king has broken mine, and I am free. You know, in light of that conversation, let me ask you a question. When the enemy of your souls comes and accuses you Reminds you of what you've done wrong. How do you respond? Do you immediately come back like Christian did there and say, that might be true, but there's a higher truth? Or do you wallow in it? You just kind of hang around there and absorb that condemnation, if you will. See, Christian in that dialogue knew that he had failed his response at the end, which makes his mercy and forgiveness the sweeter. He recognized that he had failed, but at the same time, he also recognized the higher truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He recognized that his chains were broken, that he was free. The grace and love of God had set him free. Not long ago, I watched a short video. It was a little girl, maybe five or six years old. She was... Upset, really upset, stomping and yelling and finally running away, and her dad ran after her and finally caught her and grabbed her. it took him a little while, but he grabbed her and picked her up and held her tight, and she still didn't stop. She's beating on him and still yelling and pushing against him. And finally, after a while, she settled down. And at that point, he leaned in and whispered into her ear, "I love you." And she broke into a big ear-to-ear grin and hugged him. See, I think that dad understood something in that moment that that little girl needed to understand that she was loved. And too often, you and I act like that little girl. We're pushing back against God's love. He couldn't want me, but he does. He loves you with an everlasting love. Brennan Manning, in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, said this I could more easily contain Niagara Falls in a teacup than I can comprehend the wild, uncontainable love of God. And I think Brennan is exactly right. There is no way that we can begin to understand the grace and mercy of our God. Some of you have heard me tell, years ago Nick and I went to a conference and I <laughs> still marvel at the lineup of speakers, Jerry Bridges and Ravi Zacharias and Os Guinness and R.C. Sproul and um, on and on, John Piper. I had only read at that point one book by Jerry Bridges. He was doing a, a workshop. I had been so impacted by the book that I wanted to go. And at the beginning of the class, Jerry Bridges, to me, this this this... Uh, man who has walked with the Lord for decades and has so much to say I wanted to go hear him and so at the beginning of the class he said he was going to intentionally keep the class short to open it for questions at the end so true to his word, it was about seven or eight minutes before the class was supposed to end, he stopped and he opened it up for questions and immediately a young guy, maybe 20-something on the front row, shoots up his hand and says, sir, can you tell, can you tell us the, the single best thing that, you, that has helped you in your walk with the Lord? And you know how your mind can go really, really fast and I'm sitting there thinking, wait, you're asking this guy that has walked with the Lord for decades, for one, this is gonna take an hour for him to answer this question, what are you thinking? I mean, that's what's going on in my mind, right? Right. And Jerry Bridges says, Yeah, that's real easy. He said, The single best thing that I have learned in my walk with the Lord is that I need to preach the gospel to myself every day. To every single day remind myself of what it is that Jesus did for me, that he took my sins, that God loved me so much that he took my pun- the punishment that I deserved, and he gave me life in placement for it. He said, When I do that, it makes a major difference. In how I think, how I live, how I act. And he's right. When we really fully recognize what God has done for us, who we are in Christ, what he has already given to us, my goodness, how can it not change our lives? Said at the beginning, one of our major goals for this year is that we're gonna increasingly walk in who we are in Christ. So let me give you a, practical idea of how you can make this a little bit more of a reality in your life. Psalm 1 talks about the blessed, righteous man who delights in God's word. On his law, he meditates day and night, it says in Psalm 1-2. Similar theme in Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Clearly, God wants us to meditate on his word. So, what if? what if you were to take those scriptures that I shared earlier about who we are in Christ and you were to put them, one on on each four by six card or as a pop-up on your phone, and for an entire week, you kept looking at that and looking at it and thinking about it and meditating on it, and the next week you did another one, the next week you did another one. Do you think after eight weeks that it might make a difference in you? I'm pretty sure it would when we recognize who we are in Christ, it's gonna change not just our thinking, but it will also change our actions and how we live. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word, for the truth of your word, for the unfailing truth of your word, that you have drawn us to yourself because of your grace and your mercy and that you want us to recognize the fullness of what you have made in us. God, would you more and more reveal that to us, more and more help us to understand and not just just mentally understand, but to understand enough that it affects our lives, how we live in this world. Lord, we are so grateful for what you have done and we are inviting you to cause what you have done to make a difference in us day by day in our lives. And we thank you that you will because you're faithful. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.